I heard you put on the headphones through these microphones. That's how powerful these microphones are. So is this our opener then? <laughs> I just I just wanted to say, like you you have sold me. You have sold me on new mics. If I can sound this good, well now now see his thing. You shifted in your chair, and we can hear that too. Maybe it's not so good. Yes, they are. No, that means they're really really good. People will think they were actually human beings and not just a pair of voices. You would think that people are kind of used to that by now. No, I'm sorry. I stepped over your opener. What do you have? I was going to talk about how I'm excited to do this photo shoot with you tonight. Aw, I'm excited to do that too. Guys, you get to dress up and look pretty and dance with lights. And people are going to take photographs of it. Isn't that just wonderful? That's Aren't, what I Don't imagine. you just want to see us exposed even more? I, I like doing photographs. I I know. As soon as I saw that, I was like... Listen, I need to do this. I'm, I'm, I've been told I'm very photogenic. In fact, over Easter break, I was informed that no one has ever taken a bad picture of me. Until you were, like, sneezing on the couch or something. Apparently that photo doesn't exist. Uh, of course Apparently, not. Apparently, I said, I said, try me. Try me. <laughs> and then that photo just, like, disappeared out of the archives. Like, wasn't even there. Well, it was. I was suppose it was taken by your mom. So she's saw, so oh, not nope, a good delete, one of my baby. Delete. Delete. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. Maybe that's it. I just have a mom who only has attractive photos of me. She's been influencing my opinion of my face all this time. Quite possibly. I really like taking photos. It's nothing. I'm not. I'm not yucking your yum. I get to wear a sequin dress. Yeah. And play with a lightsaber. Yeah, we we're essentially been told to bring cosplay and lightsabers, and just we're gonna have a lot of fun. I'm. I love showing off. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm also not surprised that you're Elizabeth. I'm never surprised that you're Aaron. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea. <laughs> A little unsteady, but we made through. I don't think people are here for the intros. No, no. I think we could do like... No one's here, but I mean... Offhand clicking noises for two minutes and no one would really... <laughs> the acoustics are great in here. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Great acoustics. You can follow us on Facebook at Married to the Idea. You can email us at Married to the Idea Reviews at gmail.com. We are on SoundCloud and iTunes. Be, feel free to listen and give us a review either which way. And if you'd like to support us financially, please consider checking out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Married to the Idea. We have different tiers set up for different levels of commitment. And whenever you sign up, you get a free sticker. Free stickers. Free stickers. I love me some free stickers. It's a chill day, babe. Do you feel yeah, chill? Yeah, it's, it's pretty chill. Um, Loosey-goosey. I had to do a sleep study last night, which was just tons of fun, let me tell you. I never did get a chance to count how many electrodes they stick to your head. I lost count, um, but I there had to have been, I think it was four on either side of like the split in your brain. I want to say there was four and then maybe two or three beyond that, so... Eight and then maybe twelve to fifteen. Because you came home with a lot less gunk in your hair. If I they see. may have put less in, but he the the tech who I had the same tech this time, um, really cool guy. So uh, he's getting used to you and your scalp. I <laughs> guess. Well, there was another tech that actually put the stuff on, but he well, I it, the original tech was the one I asked, and he said it's going to be about the same. So I had at least four on either side. I want to say two or three on um, beyond that. So that was like 12, 15. Um, and then I had one on my right collarbone, one on my like 
right below my heart. Yeah, <laughs> right below my heart. We're still got <laughs> one? Yeah. Oh, right still there. Right hand over your heart, yeah. Um, one right underneath my heart, and then uh, two on my, um, like, ankles. I was going to say hips, because hips don't lie. No, they never lie. I also got poked and prodded today. I went to another session on physical therapy, and my physical therapist uh, touched my shoulder in such a way that I started giggling, <laughs> which was really unprofessional of me, because basically it was like a, a bad tickle, which it, it was it was funny. <laughs> no, no, and bad it, touch, bad touch. No, it was funny, and it hurt all at the same time, <laughs> like a, like massaging a funny bone. Like, don't touch uh, it, but it also makes you go, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like uh, if you do the thing with your knee and like you make the reaction happen. <laughs> Uh, that kind of thing, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're just getting poked and prodded. And I've had to reschedule no less than two um, medical appointments uh, here recently because I have so many other medical appointments going on. Y'all, getting old sucks. <laughs> yeah, so we went back to our childhood. Well, actually, I went back to my childhood and brought Aaron along for the ride because we watched Matilda this week, and Aaron did not recall much of seeing Matilda except for the very beginning and the very end. Yeah, I remembered, like, two or three scenes. Like, I thought the magic powers or the uh, telekinesis was a lot more prevalent in this movie than it is. It's really only prevalent in, like, the last third. So, um, I, I knew, I know I had watched it when I was a kid. I think in one of my YMCA days, uh, either in Tennessee or in South Dakota, I think I definitely watched it at one point, but I don't, I did not remember half of that movie. It's funny how you remember it that way, because really the movie is about your intelligence being your power. Uh, and in fact, the main split between the book and the movie is that, and we'll get on to that later as we... Did um, you ever read the book? Oh yeah, no. Like okay. I, I, yeah, I read all of Roald Dahl's stuff. He was like one of my favorites. Roald Dahl? Mm-hmm. I don't even know why... Uh... No, not Ronald, right? <laughs> not Ronald... Because he created Matilda and McDonald, so. Aaron. <laughs> I can long walk, long walk. For a, a small drink of for, water. For the teeniest sip of life-saving Speaking water. Speaking of water. Uh, no, I. Could you hear that? Are, these, are they, are they that sensitive? I'm trimming that out. I'm trimming that out. You can't, cool. You yeah, you get to that. use the new program now, too. Oh, that's right. You're editing. You get to trim it out. I don't have time to trim it out. You're going to have to nope, trim it it's out. It's got to be dear. you. If you if you slurp on camera, it's your fault. You have to trim it out. <laughs> okay. But I read all of Roald Dahl when I was a kid. He was, like, one of my favorite authors. And I don't even know why. It's not like my family was awful. But I really enjoyed reading about just truly evil, despicable adults. And clever, clever children thwarting them. I think you're a little bit more so on the clever, clever children. <laughs> because literally we are sitting in there watching this movie and the little girl like literally breaks the rules to read books. I know, that that's probably why I like And I'm it like, so Oh, much. it's Elizabeth. Oh and then here. it's <laughs> and then it's Miss Honey, who is just like an adorable teacher who loves every student as well as she would love her own daughter. Oh look, it's Elizabeth grown up. <laughs> I, I didn't make the connection until you told me, but <laughs> I didn't. I truly didn't. I'm so humble. No, Guys, stop I'm the it. most humble. No. no, I know. I'm giving I'm giving you the business, hon. <laughs> Must you give me the business? This this is the same woman who had a mini freak out right before school started again and was like, 
oh god, the kids are gonna hate me. The kids, they're just they're gonna walk in and just know I'm a fraud. All these twelve year olds have been humoring me this whole time because yeah, that's what children do. They humor the adults. <laughs> now, granted, you had a little bit of a uh, I wouldn't say a right to freak out because of COVID and everything, but it was it was a weird situation last year. A because it was your first year, and B because of the pandemic. So you couldn't really teach them as much one-on-one, but this year has been a lot easier because you did already kind of go through probably the worst situation imaginable. Yeah, I already did the hardest year as a teacher, so (laughs) it can only go up from here. Yeah, and then the school is like begging you to come back. Children were excited to see that you came back, including, you know, them just like wanting to make you a pen pal and everything like that, so... I think the children I like did you, have, I do have a lot of kids who just write me letters. I don't know <laughs> where they come from or why they're doing them. They just leave me letters in my box. I mean, yeah, where do they come from? In, in where do they go? We're cutting that out, too. Uh-huh, sure. Uh-huh, yeah, sure. Uh, so let's talk Matilda, because there are many stories of magic children. Um, but I think what I like about Matilda so much is that it's truly her brain power that gives her her powers. It's not that she was destined to have magic or was born into it. It was just the desire to learn was so great and she was so unstimulated where she was (laughs) that her excess brain energy was converted into literal superpowers. And and I think there was a little bit of, uh, you know, using the bad stuff around you to your advantage. Like, she didn't really start getting her powers until she realized that, like, when, when she gets yelled at or berated and she felt something different or, you know, she felt like the TV blow up or the glass break. And that's how she kind of grew that. But it does kind of remind me a little bit of, like, Stephen Strange. Like, you're so smart that you literally get magic powers for it. So, <laughs> yeah, you had to, like, work hard for it. And I think the book and the movie are really good about showing her learning to punish her parents for being bad people before the powers even enter into the mix oh yeah real real subtle practical ways and it's oh it's glorious it's so it's so well done um i uh oh i had a oh so yeah yeah like i can move stuff with my mind thanks to my local library i know it does feel that way the entire time it feels like a propaganda being made explicitly for me yeah, pretty much. I mean, this this is like, I'm surprised this isn't one of your favorite movies, because this is a really, it just screams Elizabeth to me. No, it probably is. Um, I, It's so hard to make a list of favorites. I know some people are really good about that. Like, here are my favorite all-time movies that have defined me as a general. But, you know, when I come back to them, I realize, oh, yeah, this was probably really defining to my childhood. <laughs> and it's influential in a way that favorite isn't an appropriate descriptor. And then maybe, like, uh, we as movie critics need to come up with different categories then instead of just favorite movies. Because I do have, like, a top ten favorite list, but I can never put them in order. Because it depends on the day or the month or even the year. Movie is just a type of entertainment genre. It's it's kind of like the Academy Awards when they throw ten movies together. Like, which <laughs> one's the best? Like. None of these, besides being the art of film, have anything to do with each other. How can we judge them in that merit? So it's kind of like with books. I have billions of books up here, some of which are written for adults, some of which are written for kids, some of them are fantasy, some of them are nonfiction. How am I supposed to go up there and say which one is the best objectively? So are you saying that um, the Kids' Choice Awards at Nickelodeon 
is a little bit more um, dis- uh, discerning. I would say that it is a better example of how to pick a good thing from a category than any of the Academy Awards. Absolutely. I'm not disagreeing. I mean, I, I know it sounded plus a little bit Plus there's slime. Yeah, plus the slime. Uh, I, I wasn't trying to be snarky. I was, uh, in, in reality, I kind of agree because look at, you know, Beauty and the Beast getting nominated for the best picture and of course losing to Hannibal but that like everyone was like it should have won something I think it won for best score uh yeah I think the music did uh yeah Sounds of the Lambs like that's uh, look look at that look at that right there number one Sounds of the Lambs number two Beauty of the Beast those two things have nothing to do with each other why in the world are they being judged to each other yeah and it's and of course um the best animated movie came very soon afterwards yeah that's when people again that's clever people realizing that hey you need more than this and like as far as adaptations go we cover adaptations a lot here on the mm-hmm. show um i think that the matilda movie is probably one of the best executed adaptations uh we've talked about before like what's our best adaptation so far uh i really did enjoy howl's moving castle even though the two properties are very unique and distinct and that's okay because it's taking the content and building on it but I really do like that this one you can tell you can tell that the director is looking at the work of the author you can tell that he is saying he has the the script and the book in each in one hand he knows the important parts are and he knows how to embellish and I think that's the really important thing and I guess we should probably talk about Danny DeVito then. Um, yeah, we'll come back to that in just a second. Um, I did look it up, and it, um, they won for best score, so I was right. And I, I'll be honest, I kind of pulled that out of my ass. Um, and best original song for Beauty and the Beast, and it was Alan Menken's um, uh, "Posthumous." So, or posthumous. He won it after he died. Kind of like all the awards that are coming for Alan Menken isn't the one who's dead. Howard Ashman. I always do that. I, I always do that. I know. It's okay. Um, and they were nominated for Best Sound, Best Picture, Best Music, Original Song. Um, dude, they had three songs get nominated. Mm-hmm. Holy hell. Yeah. And then, and then you look at like the Golden Globes, like the music or comedy, which this definitely falls into that because it's a musical. But then you had like The Martian win because it like they That's... submitted it under... Comedy That's or old news. I know. So. I people, but the thing is, is they're still doing that because they're trying to win awards, trying to get to make more money. So, like this one makes sense because you know mo- uh, musical, but uh, I have issues with that. So, um, but yeah, I they won two Oscars, and the live action. How many did that win? Oh yeah, none. Zip. I don't even think it was nominated for anything, which is good. So yes, let's talk about Danny. Top hat wearing for uh, Tim Burton DeVito. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be Aaron's force because he, having never watched this, went on to IMDb on a little trivia hunt to like learn all he could about this film. Well, he even found things I don't know about. Yeah, which I'm excited. Um, the reason I even started kind of get Matilda back into my mindscape is I read a story um about how um which the very first piece of trivia which honestly is the best piece of trivia to me is that mara wilson's mother was going through chemotherapy at this time and she did end up passing during this production or um 
near the end of the production. And Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman, who were married at the time, um, basically just brought her into their home, let her stay there, you know, told her jokes, you know, kept her happy, and of course worked with her on the movie. Um, and then it was like, it was like, that's super cool. Like, I never knew that about Danny DeVito or Rhea Perlman. And especially with, like, how they treat her in the movies, it's kind of like, wow, they really do are good at acting. So when they... It must have to be a huge balance of trust between the actors at that point. Kind of in the same way that when they made Maleficent, they had to get Angelina Jolie's actual child because none of the other kids would trust her. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way, like, if, it, if they didn't have, like, an a nice relationship it could have gotten so bad with them acting like they hated her on set and then having to like transition and not be secure in the fact that your co-workers don't hate you as a young child um yeah and it's and it's so strange that like i um i know that they recently like within the last couple of years had this big reunion um probably in 2014 i would say because that's the 20 year anniversary of it yeah they made him eat the cake right yeah i think they brought that actor back and um <laughs> he, he uh he ate the cake again um but like you know uh trunchbull was there i don't think miss honey was there um but Rhea perlman danny devito mara wilson um and a bunch of the other kid actors were it was like a giant tea party from what i could see <laughs> um i would love to find those uh pictures again but um they the the big thing is, is that was when I was reading that story, it was like a Tumblr post uh, talking about how Mara Wilson's mother was was sick, and then they took her in essentially for those you know few months, um, and uh, then uh, Danny DeVito also directed the movie, and it just blew my mind that one of the most influential kids movies from your and I's growing up days, or you know you know influential years, or Formative, that's the word I'm looking for, formative years, Danny DeVito directed it. And then one of the movies that kind of uh, helped formulate me a little bit as an adult, Death to Smoochie, was also directed by Danny DeVito. I had no idea that was one of your formative movies. I, I, it taught me that there are a lot of... It taught me that humor is not just Robin Williams or... Um, or Will Smith, you know, it, it's not just that it can be dark and bleak. It can be, you know, like cutting. And I, I don't know. I just, I watched it kind of at the right time. It what was, if, but for death to smoochy to be the thing that solidifies that. One in your of, brain. one of, I'm not saying it was the only one. Yeah, it, just, it just makes me smile to think that it was also another movie I got to watch with my dad. It was, I think it was just the two of us. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I really would like for you to watch it. Cause you, Seeing Edward Norton as as this character, it is so just sugary, sweet, saccharine. It is hilarious. And everyone else is, like, dark. Um, Catherine uh, from uh, Get Out and um, Incredibles 2. Mm -hmm. She's in it, too. And she's, like, the, the quasi-love interest. Okay. Yeah. It's, honestly, it's a good movie. It's not like an amazing movie. I've heard Oscar. it's trash. <laughs> maybe then it's my trash. But Robin Williams, like th maybe that was it too. It like showed me that Robin Williams kind of does some stuff. You know, like he doesn't all. He's not always like the good guy or like the the jovial older man. Oh no, he kept trying to be 
this serious guy and he did it plenty of work. times he did not it did not work for most of those times i would argue about half half because <laughs> some of those roles that he did that were more serious like one hour photo or um you know a, not a beautiful mind um goodwill hunting it's pretty much only goodwill hunting when i think of a good serious Robin Williams his, performance. I, his first movie role or one of his either the first two or the first movie role that i can think of uh world according to garp it's not funny it's very dramatic it may have like a funny moment here and there but it's dramatic so he got i mean he he, he went to juilliard he's a good actor no sorry what i mean to say is that you often get pegged and if you've only seen Dane DeVito as the Penguin and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, you are going to be so lost when you get to Matilda. <laughs> and yeah, it's funny to kind of see him be this, you know, in real life, he's a pretty jovial, you know, real kind of big hearted guy, um, you know, to take in this this actress that who did pick this script. She was a big fan of it. And she did pick the script, so... Oh, that's good to know. Like, there was, like, four or five scripts that she was, like, offered, and then she was like, oh, Matilda. Like, Matilda is one of those characters, one of those, like, young woman icons, like Hermione, that just, like, stick in your brain. Princess Cimarron. There's there's so many women who have, like, influenced me as how I want to The Enchanted Forest Chronicles. I know. I don't know if you were the one that got me into him back in middle school. It's quite possible. <laughs> but they were so good. They are really, really good. I've enjoyed rereading them. You have been? Yeah. Do we have them? Yeah, I got them right over here. Oh. I reread them uh, on video for the kids while we were stuck in quarantine. That's right. I do remember that. Um, I that's a great series. You know, <laughs> quick little plug for that if you uh, want to read it. It's a good. It's a good family friendly series, but it doesn't treat your children like idiots. <laughs> uh. Mara Wilson is also really fun in this. There's a lot of mannerisms of hers that I can see in her younger days that she would take into other roles. And this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I like her better in this than I do in Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, I think so, too. I just think there's a, again, to pick the script, to feel like such a connection to this character, like, I can totally see how that would influence how she worked it. I know this came later, but it feels like every other character was trying to be Matilda. And I don't, I'm not, I am not judging Mara Wilson because she's explained that like what, when she was going through some of these things, like, you know, one simple wish or a simple wish, like, you know, it was a kind of an awkward time in her life and, you know, she'd lost her mother. So it was, she's dealing with that too. So, you know, one actor to another, I'm not trying to, Oh, yeah, we people love to, like, I, I don't think it's quite as common anymore. I think there was a point where people would shit on child actors, because, like, if they're working as a job, we sh they should be open to critique as much as the next person. But I kind of think, like, our brains aren't developed till we're 25 years old. Can we really judge anyone below that age when they have the wherewithal to, like, you know, and when you're seven years old and you pick a script because it sounds interesting to you, it seems rude to then go back and say haha you big dork well i i, I do think that, that it's still allowed to be judged because we can't just say okay every child actor is good because there are certain child actors out there who are you know um by and large better than their their counterparts but i think the measuring stick has to be different and can't be you know you're not going to judge anthony hopkins next to you know um uh Hayden christensen I, I was gonna say jake lloyd even there so uh, you know, that's, you know, two, two different completely met or two completely different metrics. So 
And it is nice to see Mara come out of all of this with just this this cutting wit. Just she is hysterical. If you I would have loved to see her back on like um sun, always sunny or something like that. Just oh, that would have been funny. Um, it, it may have happened. I've not seen the whole series. I think I'm seen up to season three or four. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's this is this is an adorable movie, and it's shot in the right frame of mind too. It's it has that doll kind of whimsy like tim burton tried to do a little bit with you know his remake of um the charlie and the chocolate factory willa wonka and chocolate factory it kind of feels like tim burton is trying to continuously ape roll doll's style in a way that he just keeps failing at because because doll writes miserable stuff but it's fun misery it's it's putting your characters through shit and then letting them like come back with a vengeance i think yeah i think burton is a mix between doll and um edward gory like if edward gory wrote charlie and the chocolate factory or if Roald illustrated doll, it. I, the I, family or whatever. I now need to see edward gory illustration of Roald doll books because doll, <laughs> doll is is per- internet make this happen he's perverse guys like i don't know if you aaron know that he write wrote like adult literature like Matilda and Charlie and Chocolate Factory, all of those are BFG. BFG, yeah. There's so Charlie and Chocolate. Or no, you just said that. Yeah, uh, George's Marvelous Medicine. There's so many. Uh, the Draft of Pelly and I. There's all these little fun stories, fun for kids. Uh, but then you get to like his adult short stories, uh, like where a woman starts ingesting royal jelly and turns into a giant bee, Ovid's Metamorphosis style, or. Um, it like really dark stuff, like you know, cook the rabbit for your wife sort of stuff, like cook the rabbit. For uh, your wife. So, uh, like like horror movie tropes where it's. Are like, you talking about um, Glenn Close? I will not be ignored, Michael. <laughs> so that that style, imagine that in a book written by Roald Dahl, where it's just so, so weird. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm perverse. stuck on this. This this cook the I'm rabbit. I'm very thing. I'm very certain in a story that does happen that a, a character does cook a, a rabbit for okay. Their, yeah, because it wasn't husband. for the wife. Yeah, it was for the husband, and it was um, uh, she was his mistress. Yeah. Um, someone screaming at us and saying it's this title, and I'm I'm forgetting what it I is. Know, someone someone knows it in the back of their head. It's been a while since I've read the adult stuff. I read those back when like, I was like 16 because I. I was at that age where I'd read anything that had my favorite any of my favorite authors' names on it, regardless of what context it was or for what kind of adult it was. Uh, you would have read uh, *Cursed Child*, wouldn't you? Have? Yeah, I no, that absolutely would have been it, regardless of quality or wh- who the intended audience was for. I would have been that person. Uh, I was reading Robin McKinley and read *Deerskin* at sixteen. You shouldn't read *Deerskin* at sixteen. It does not start out pleasant. It's very, very dark. You shouldn't go there. And and then this is the kind of woman who wrote two different versions of Beauty and the Beast. And I was like, oh, one's for kids, one's for adults. Her adult stuff got dark. And that's cool to see authors be more than just what we know them for. That's why I like when I go to cons, asking the, what's the one thing you're really proud of that no one talks about that you wish more people knew about? Because yeah. I feel like every author, every creative has that project, that hustle that they like live for that isn't what's most what they're most popularly known for. Yeah, and um, it's yeah, it's a good question. It's uh, definitely worked out for you a couple of times. You it know, has always worked in, out, including getting hit on by Dante Bosco. It, it's just it's a it's a nice question. People like to feel <laughs> like they're appreciated. So, um, well, speaking of authors, are you ready to go in the sponsor dome? Two sponsors enter. One sponsor leaves. 
our uh, original uh, or reigning champion uh, is Audible. Uh, you can go to audible.com. Slash no, you sure? Audibletrial.com? Audibletrial.com. Man, I'm trying to vamp and... Uh, Please don't. Not during the sponsor section. <laughs> we, they need to know we're doing yeah, it Yeah, we're right. going to lose all scent that we made. All scent. <laughs> Uh, today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash married to the idea and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download the title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash married to the idea to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And, uh, Liz, do you want to talk about the book, or do you want me to talk about the Go book? Go for it, Aaron, because I'm going to talk about our challenger today. Gotcha. Our uh, book for today that we recommend is Where Am I Now? True Stories of Girlhood and Accidental Fame by Mara Wilson, narrated by Mara Wilson, edited by, you want to take a guess? Mara Wilson. George Washington. Come on, that was super easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I kid, I kid. Um, the synopsis. A former child actress best known for her starring roles in Matilda and Mrs. Doubtfire. That was the other one she had done. Um, Mara Wilson has always felt a little young and out of place. As the only kid on a film set of adults, the first daughter in a house full of boys, a valley girl in New York and a neurotic in California, a grown-up and a grown-up the world still remembers as a little girl. Um, yeah, I've seen her do a couple things, uh, do like, it was a, either a talk about something. And then of course, where really Mara Wilson kind of re-entered my brain was, uh, the, the internet series, Nostalgia Critic. So, um, I do actually kind of want to listen to this because I like Mara Wilson and because of her re-entering, you know, the, the mindscape, my mindscape, my mind palace, uh, she like her takes on some stuff like her Twitter handle right now is Mara punch a fucking Nazi or punch the punch fucking Nazis Wilson. Like, <laughs> like I really like, cause she's be, Oh, that was the other thing. It was, um, uh, cracked her crack, her big cracked article about child actors and you know, who better to write that article than, you know, Mara Wilson. So, um, I definitely am going to look into, uh, listening to this cause I do like her and I do like her writing cause she has a very sharp wit, uh, about her. So she's hysterical. Uh, so where am I now? True stories of girlhood and accidental fame by Mara Wilson. And remember, if you go to audibletrial.com slash married to the idea, you can get started with a 30 day free trial membership. Awesome. Uh, I really hope you all check out that book because she's so funny on Twitter. I can't imagine what happens when you give her more than 140 characters. Be witty. Exactly. Uh, our sponsored home challenger this week is the artist relief tree. Uh, this is a relief fund for artists affected by cancellations due to COVID-19. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a couple uh, charities right now working to help different parts of the entertainment industry recover and maintain until they can go back to performing and sharing their work with others. Uh, the reason I bring up Artist Relief Tree is that they are doing a special charity month. I guess you would call it. All April long, they are connecting with D and D creators on YouTube, like Joe Cat and Crit Crab, and so many others, to create content for this charity under the hashtag 
bards for bards, which I think is a great way to talk about entertainers helping entertainers. It's it's very clever. It's very witty. Um, there is a bunch of ways that you can help out. Uh, you can share the hashtag bards number four bards uh, on Instagram. And if you do that and you like to draw too and you happen to play a bard in your D&D campaign, you can enter the bards for bards art challenge. Um, you can check out Joe Cat's most recent YouTube video if you want to learn more about that. But basically, if you send him a picture of your bard, he will donate $5 to this charity, up to $5,000 of his own money towards this charity, and I think that's really swell. I know that other creators are doing other special things for this as well. They're doing live stream events throughout the entire month. I already submitted my bard, Kiri, a giantess who has an axe that is both a guitar and an axe. <laughs> it's the best kind of axe. I'll have to borrow your uh, Apple Pencil and uh, draw Shoot, I don't remember his name, but my stand-up comedian bard. Yes, I would love to see him, too, just standing in front of a brick wall that he literally busted through. Oh, he was, no, he was smaller. He was like a kobold or kobold or something like that. Oh, my gosh. That's right. You have another character who is like a old-fashioned strong man who I oh, always confuse yeah. the two. Reginald uh, Horsk. Horsk. He, uh, he is a half-orc uh, brawler fighter. And, like, think... Uh, an orc version of Charles Bronson, if you know who that is. Because I've said that to a couple of people, and they've been, duh? Yeah, I know who Charles Bronson is. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tom Hardy played him in the movie. Uh, but yeah, big burly guy with like a uh, handlebar mustache that wraps around his tusks. It's, it's uh, uh, he's, he's, he's a joy to play as, um, for the most part. <laughs> uh, you can also check out the uh, Bards for Bards hashtag on Instagram. There's a lot of people putting up their bards up as well, if you want to check them out. Um, either which way, uh, definitely go check out the Artist's Relief Tree uh, if you want to be someone who helps other entertainers in need during this time. So uh, we're going to take a quick diversion, um, and you can decide if you want to keep this in or not. I uh, literally just got the notification on my phone uh, that an actor was arrested for a twenty, sorry, $229 million Hollywood Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Who? Uh, it's not a big name. It's not like oh, it's not like. Uh, Sorry, I thought this was like going to be a game where we have to like guess oh, no. what famous actor it is. I I will tell you, he did have an uncredited role in a decently sized movie in the last uh, few years, and I'll only say who the main actor is, and then if you can guess it, that'd be kind of cool. I'll give you three guesses to kind of play this game. Um, but the the main actor in the movie is Brad Pitt. Oh, I don't care about Brad Pitt, so I don't watch any of his films. Um, I, I haven't seen this movie either. Okay, well then don't make it a game. <laughs> I, okay. I, I rescind my, 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 my desire to play. Sorry, it's $227 million, but apparently like Netflix and Hulu were like key components in, in unraveling this. Like defaulted investors and and it's, yeah, like that's not something that is unheard of. Like there was um, one or two production companies that would literally um, get investment money for a new project. It was either a video game company or movie company, but they would literally get money from for a new project and then funnel that back into an old project because they were going over budget. Mm-hmm. There's so, so many ways you can make money off the good intentions of other people. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, this guy just uh, got his butt busted. So. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of great trivia about Matilda, like um, that uh, the woman who played Trunchbull, Pam Ferris. Um, who was also in uh, Death of Smoochie. 
in her role so fun. Um, she would stay in character even outside of filming so that the children would be still intimidated by her and it'd be a little bit more natural. Um, and then, uh, of course, we already talked about that. Um, there's a portrait that's kind of heavily featured that's actually of Roald Dahl instead of the, the character. Um, my favorite one so far, beyond Mara Wilson you know, being taken care of by Rhea Perlman and uh, Danny DeVito, it is uh, probably that Pam Ferris plays, you know, Trunchbull, right? And she is dispatched by a child with magic. Does being dispatched by a child of magic kind of ring any bells? No, give it to me. No? She played uh, the aunt who gets blown up in Harry Potter. Stop it. No. Oh, my God. Pam Ferris played uh, it's the Dursley aunt, but I can't remember her name. Um, oh, but my gosh. That's... Aunt Doris or something like that. That is insane. Yep. Um, and apparently she's, like, super nice. Aunt Marge. Aunt Marge. Aunt Marge. Large okay. Marge. So we did talk about villains, classic villains last episode. We got to talk about the Trunchbull. Because the Trunchbull. Wow. Intimidating. Stupid intimidating. And then you, like, take another deep dive into it. Like, what about her is so intimidating to Roald Dahl that he made this woman, this this evil person, head of this school? Like, if you break her down, she's actually kind of, like, inspiring. Like, went to... Is the, is I'm sorry. Olympic With gold? the multiple, multiple, multiple lines of her talking about how children should just be either thrown away or quickly to grow up. Glad I never was one. Uh, the like, are, are, are you trying to defend Corella DeVille here? No, that's what I'm saying. It's like the framing of the movie says, don't try to be strong. Don't try to be smart. Don't try to achieve I'm greatness. I'm smart. You're dumb. I'm right. You're wrong. Because she's an Olympic medalist. Like, just the pure solid strength on this woman that just the sheer nerve of it all. And it's so to, to then turn it into a villain to have it be like this strong, capable, independent woman who don't need no man. She it's, is a strong, not, independent woman who not, killed her brother-in-law yeah. no, that's what and I'm then saying. kicked her uh, niece. Yes. Okay. You're trying yeah, to no, defend her, no, but I'm, I'm not, not trying I'm, to defend her. You're a Thanos sympathizer, huh? No, I'm not saying Trunchbull was right. That's what Thanos sympathizers say. No, I'm saying for the author to think what's an intimidating person to children and to come up with this woman to be the antagonist. And part of the DNA of her is that she is physically strong. Just like with Cruella DeVille, I need a villain for this piece. I'm going to make her financially savvy and wealthy. To include these things as signifiers, it kind of leaves a message to children. Well, I think that's... that's uh, I, I want to kind of come back to Trunchbull on here in just a second. But I think that's part of what makes a good villain is that they are capable, that they are, you know, um, able to do these plans that they come up with, like, you know, uh, freaking Hans Gruber or uh, Scar or, you know, these these great planners or these, these people who are capable and these, you know, heroes are usually have these situations thrust upon them and they don't believe that they can solve the situation, but in reality that they are the, probably the best person to do so. So... Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. 
I'm not going to agree with you because she literally talks about, she throws children. She doesn't throw them into something. She throws children. She's not forgivable and she's not sympathetic, but she is determined. She does have drive. Yes. She literally pushes a broken down car back to her house that's not what we're... She jumps from the top of a two-story landing. That, that is a cool shot. <laughs> She's a bull. <laughs> she she is a bull. She's Trunchbull. So I, I guess I'm, I'm confused on what you're trying to say here because it feels like you're trying to be like, it's okay. She's just misunderstood. No, absolutely not. What I'm curious in is what the author's intent was, as always. What intimidates well, I, the author? I don't, and this is Roald Dahl, who had, he does have some questionable things in his books. But it, I believe there's a, there's a trivia point about this. <clears throat> it's widely believed that the Trunchbull was based on the headmistress of Lisey Dahl, who also served as a producer, and her name was used as the, the doll that uh, they recovered from Trunchbull at one point. Um, who reportedly got very creative with her punishments. Lizzie and her friend once tried to sneak ice cream to their rooms. When they were caught, the headmistress made them wait until dawn while the ice cream melted. <laughs> so maybe he took an idea of a creative torturer or a creative punisher and then went from there. Like, well, maybe, you know, she... Because um, it, it, it sounds like one of those things, because, like, none of the parents believe that Trunchbull is this bad. Um, but, like, it does sound like one of those things, like, where a parent goes to a child, like, uh-uh, no, don't step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back kind of thing. Like, oh, if you if you talk or, you know, misspeak in front of Trunchbull, she'll pull you by your pigtails and throw you into the garden, you know, or into the, the field yeah, next to, door. Yeah, like, just bring the absurdity into reality. So she literally does these things. Instead exactly. Instead of just being, I heard a rumor. It's kind of like the opposite of the librarian from the Black Lagoon or the gym teacher from the Black Lagoon where they tell all these scary stories oh, about no, that my teacher, creature. My teacher is a, a vampire. Yeah. I had one of those And books, then you finally get to meet good. them and like, oh, actually they were kind of nice and they oh, no, you're, taught yeah. me well and I got to run a mile and I felt really good about myself. You, sorry, different kid's book. No, because yeah, it's like the teacher from the Black Lagoon or like the principal from um, – Antarctica or something like that. They're all from the Black Lagoon. Oh, they are. Yeah, yeah. I I do remember that one. That one was good. Um, the the uh, there's a different series is like my teacher is a vampire, similar vein, but a little bit of an older audience for it essentially. Um, but yeah, like I think it's I don't want to say it's told from Matilda's perspective, but it's also told more omniscient wise. So it is kind of you can look at the movie being from her perspective, but also. And, like, uh, there's a movie that just came out that's, like, where you see the children's um, imagination come to life. So it makes sense that maybe things were a little exaggerated because, you know, she's a child or... Personally, I don't think, uh, the way that Roald Dahl works, I don't think any of this is exaggerated. I think in his reality, they literally just... People just throw children by their pigtails over fences. Like, that's literally what they do. With Roald Dahl, it's, like, things could be this extensively um imaginative or it could be real um Roald Dahl kind of walks that fine line pretty well like you know Norton Jester with the the Phantom of the, uh, the Phantom Tollbooth you know he does kind of make you think well maybe this never happened but then the Tollbooth is there and it goes to another kid um which it's more so in the movie than it is in the uh, 
the the book that they kind of maybe think that it it could have been real it could have not been real but yeah i think it's just more about the children's imagination but but i'm just saying trifle's like like a badass boss like no (laughs) like yes there are like miss honey is a badass boss because she stands up to the trench bowl well, she's an entirely different take on femininity. Trench Bull broke Honey's arm. Oh yeah, no, she's she's a villain. She's a straight up villain. Why are you trying to sympathize with her? I'm or not. Why are you trying to make her sympathetic? Gosh, no, I wish I wish that I could uh, make myself understood better. I'm not saying that the character is sympathetic. I'm saying that it's interesting that the author, when looking at how to best scare children, decided that this. I don't think it was because of it because it was a woman. A woman. I think it was because it well, was headmistress, and then scary headmistresses are like nuns slapping your fingers with rulers. Like there are tons of stories and tons of real life instances of yeah, of and it's women and doing it could that. be with priests or you know head um, head ministers too. You mean headmasters? Headmasters. <laughs> you know it. it it's not. I'm, it's not. I'm getting gender. on the offensive because I know that you're about to start defending the warm woods, and I wanted to put you on your toes. <laughs> so. With the thought process of, um, you know, Pam Ferris being in both of these movies, um, I thought it did occur to me halfway through the movie, and I think I even paused the movie to be like, hey, wait a minute. Um, the Wormwoods are terrible parents. That needs to be known. I don't think that they were good parents. However, they were neglectful while they were neglectful and, you know, kind of emotionally abusive too, which is just as bad, they weren't physically abusive or at least, you know, they didn't go. They didn't buckle their child into the car when they took her home from the hospital. That's neglectful. That's neglect, not physical abuse. Now, if something had happened to Matilda, then that would be a much higher rate of neglect to, so you know, uh, second degree murder. So that the Dursleys are less culpable than the Wormwoods. It's, I think that there's a, a argument to be made that the Wormwoods who gave, you know, her, her own room, who, you know, put food on the table. So did Harry. He got all those things and he got to go to school and Matilda didn't get to go. Yes. But again, I want to say it's because of neglect, whereas the Dursleys were more active in their torture or their douchebaggery. And, you know, and we could still kind of throw in the, the theory that because Harry was a horcrux, that it did make the Dursleys more douchebaggy as the years went on. So if you look at, you know, when um, they were with the locket, it's the more they wore the locket, all of the, you know, That's Lord a, of the Rings. It's a fun fan theory, but none of Harry's friends turn on him as the years go on and progress. And maybe there's theories that because he becomes more magical, then he is able to kind of suppress it. But I don't know. I th- I think there's there's arguments to be made either way on that. Regardless, whether that is what happens or not, the Dursleys were abusive and berating, like the Wormwoods, but they made him live while they had probably multiple rooms in a cupboard under the stairs. The First title is the book, or sorry, the boy who lived in the cupboard under the stairs. Uh, the first book. Like, he didn't have a room, he had a space, which, I mean, is still better than something. They didn't li- make him live out in the backyard or, you know, throw him back out on the street. There's reasons because of that, because I think uh, they they were literally about to, and they didn't, under penalty of magic, remember my love. 
I think that you are more forgiving of the Wormwoods because Matilda gets to punish them. But I don't think that lets them off the hook for what they do to this child. I, I'm not, and again, how I guess you weren't trying to sympathize with Trenchbull. I'm not trying to make these sympath- these characters sympathetic because they're not. They, they're emotionally abusive, which again can be argued is just as bad as physically abusive. Um, they are neglectful. You know, they leave a can of soup in a in a bowl like and they're like oh you've got dinner on the stove and then you know leave a four-year-old child to make her own way and it's just yeah i get that and i agree with that um but what i'm trying to ask is who is worse not necessarily who was better who is worse the wormwoods or the dursleys see i think at that point i think the more interesting question is who is worse uh Damn it, I had it. <laughs> Damn it, I had it. Ugh. Did it die of loneliness? No, it's from the fifth Harry Potter book. Who is him? Oh, him. uh, God. I know. Like, I'm losing my mind. Umbridge. Umbridge. Who's worse, Trunchbull or Umbridge? And it's Umbridge every time. Umbridge. 10,000%. Now, it's a, I would say it's probably a little bit of a closer race because Trunchbull does torture her students. But she, the, it's weird. Her personality is bad, but it doesn't grate me as much as Umbridge. Um, Imogen, uh, uh, the woman who played uh, Umbridge in the movie, mm-hmm. did too good of a job. She's too good at it. Like, she she is way too good at it. That's probably why I like the Trunchbull so much, because Pam looks like she's just having, like, the time of her life acting as this character. Oh, yeah. Like, and I think that's part of the, the difference. With Brucey and the chocolate cake, just the glee she has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, like, see, that's why I'm, like, I guess I'm a little bit more sympathetic, and I'm, I'm talking molecules or, you know, percentages, <laughs> um, more sympathetic or more understanding of the wormwoods because again they berate her they they you know tear her down all the time but they don't i mean to go to an extreme extreme they don't you know sexually um abuse her they don't um put her out on the street they don't do any of that neither do the dursleys like no. As long as we're talking about young adult films, I think we're going to be stuck in the they didn't sexually abuse her. But my 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 theory, and again, why I think the Dursleys are worse, even though like they don't send their child to to school, I do believe that the Dursleys are worse because they had the threat of magic. I think the Wormwoods would have been about the same, but they never really knew that Matilda was gifted in any way. In the fact, they disagreed with it. The Wormwoods are entirely ignorant, I would say. They don't know what their daughter is capable of and are completely ignorant of her abilities. Whereas the Dursleys are completely aware of what Harry could do and maliciously with cruel intent enact what they want on him. So... I will say, as far as that goes, perhaps in this case, the Dursleys are worse guardians than the Wormwoods. Yeah, I really feel like. I really feel like the Dursleys still actively did shit to Harry, but they didn't. They knew what limits that they could push because of the magic or they only push because like look at like they're like he's not going to this wizard school 
Um, you know, we're going to tear up all of these letters, which they were sent by, uh, <laughs> they were sent by McGonagall, who I bet was just sitting there sipping a cup of tea and just be like, what other way can I fuck with them? <laughs> uh, but you've got, they basically are under threat of magic or under threat of whatever to make sure to keep this child at least alive. What kind of life would it be? They don't care. Um, because yes, they do take him to school, but I think it's because the government would have, you know, <laughs> yeah. and and they don't want the parents. They're, they're the more about the parents. The descriptor of them both seems very fair. They lived in a very nice house in a very nice neighborhood, but they were not very nice people. Right. See, which is like, great commentary. Just so and, and and I think that kind of shows because like the Dursleys lived in a nice house. They kept up appearances because they wanted to everyone to be impressed with them. Whereas with the Wormwoods, they didn't give two shits. In fact, like, you know, one of them's, uh, you know, a freaking um, parts fencer for cars and stuff like that. So it's like, it kind of makes sense that, like, you know, again, the Wormwoods are not good people at all. But I think the situation is the Dursleys are worse. So on the ab- abusive parent list, make your rankings appropriate. We'll keep going. <laughs> who's A level? Who's B level? Who's D? All right. So there is one final point, Aaron, and that's the ending of the movie versus the ending of the book. Okay. This is the big difference that I alluded to earlier. So even though you haven't read the book, Aaron, you are aware that there are two different endings. Yeah. First, the book and the movie. In the movie, she keeps her powers. It's like a fun little side effect. She just is a magical girl now. Mm-hmm. In the book... Magical girl Matilda. Magical girl Matilda. In the book, she gets to go into high school level classes when she's like six years old. Uh, she starts doing like serious research, uh, getting ready for college. And she one day says to Miss Honey, I tried to make a glass movie the other day just for fun. And I couldn't. And they hypothesize that because she's using so much of her brain now in a way that she wasn't before when she wasn't being stimulated than when she wasn't getting the attention that she needed, that she won't need them. And so she doesn't have them anymore. What do you think is the better ending? I don't know. I mean, they're both really good endings. Um, but I... I, I think I kind of like the movie ending a little better. Because she essentially um, does not, she chooses to not use her powers. So it's more of a conscious choice. Whereas with the other one, because it's almost like a distraction. For me, I think I like the book ending better because it implies that any of us have this ability. That it isn't just that Matilda was born the right way, but rather that if you were equally underserved underdeveloped and you desire to learn more and do more that you would have this as an offput of what you did naturally yeah i um but i like your idea of the conscious choice i hadn't thought about it that way in a way that she chooses not to use her powers because it wouldn't be fair so i think they both have their place i guess i just like the idea that we can all be this we all of us have the power to do this yeah, and I th- and I think that is a kind of a good overall message is that, you know, everybody could be this way, but we, we either are already too stimulated or we just don't stimulate ourselves enough. That sounds dirty. <laughs> um, but I liked that, you know, she made the conscious choice to, you know, learn how to make pancakes, and then she's reading the freaking New York Times, and 
um, and then chooses to figure out where the local library is that was only 10 blocks away from her house. And, and then she walked there every day. <laughs> like, nowadays, if you see, like, a little four-year-old just walking around, people are going to be like, what the f- uh, hey, um, where, where, uh, parents, yeah, where, where are your parents, kid? You know, like, I feel like they're, you know, once you're above a certain age, you can do stuff on your own a little bit more because I was given that freedom and it was, it honestly helped, you know, mature me in a different way. Uh, but four year old is a little too young, but you know, this is also the family that's like, oh, you know, we left you food on the table to a four year old. So instead of like eight hours, yeah, exactly. Which I mean, did teach her independence, but not in a good way. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to say I still like the movie. And I do like the book ending that she becomes so stimulated and becomes so, um, in, in th- not infused, but engaged with everything that she become that she doesn't need to use the powers anymore. She doesn't have the powers anymore. Um, also, you know, I, I've not read the ending, but I know what it is. Um, the movie ending makes it a lot more about a relationship between her and Honey. Again, I've not read the books, but the movie made sure it's like they're not mother and daughter. They're not sisters. They're not aunt and niece, but they're some sort of amalgamation of all these kind of relationships. And I liked that. I And, um, you know, I don't think I would have appreciated that as a, you know, a six year old or however I was when I watched this movie. But now I really appreciate that it's it is a familiar love but it's not like she, honey knows how intelligent she is. She's not scared by it or intimidated by it, but she knows how inti- she wants to nurture it. She wants to grow and not in a Charles Xavier, like then I can use you as a pawn against the fight of, with my best friend in the whole wide world. Yeah. So I get kind of like, I think I'm, I, I lean towards the, the movie ending. Mm-hmm. What about you? I have book ending for me. Okay. okay. But I like your thoughts on it. I wouldn't okay. have thought about it that way. Okay. Well, um, I guess that I do. I I always enjoy these kind of discussions where we do end up on either side, but we can still see the um, the the other instead of just being like la 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 la. It means there's hope for everyone. Maybe. Maybe. A few people. So, <laughs> um, well, as always, I've enjoyed talking movies with you, Elizabeth. I like watching and talking about movies with you too, hon. As you sit there with curlers in your hair. Uh, oh, you shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I, they know that we're doing a photo shoot, so. Yes, I just want them to think that I always look glamorous and don't need any work whatsoever to make that happen. <laughs> or, you know, be realistic and that it does take a little bit of work at least. It doesn't take a lot of work, though, hon. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It takes a lot of work to make this, okay? And I'm just starting to myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you guys for joining us. Um, we are uh, uh, looking forward to doing another Marvel revisit soon or Marvel check-in soon, um, hopefully with uh, another set of guest stars or the same set. Maybe. That would be a lot of fun. Um, I know that they would be excited to do it with us. So we're... Uh, Hoping to do that, you know, knock on wood, and maybe we'll continue it when, uh, whenever Loki comes out too. So that's right. We'll just have like a Marvel relationship. <gasps> the marvelous. Oh, there's a thing here. Oh, there's something here because you guys love um, Gilmore Girls, right. and she made marvelous Miss Maisel. Oh, there's there's something here. Marvelous Marrieds. Perfect. That's it. Cut print. Let's get. It. Uh, Let's get it on. <laughs> that's that is. I I'm going to text that to them. I'm like, 
hey, we need to kind of call this a series, The Marvelous Marrieds. TM, TM, TM. TM, 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 TM. So, again, thank you to everyone. I hope you guys are staying safe out there as you guys are starting to get, you know, uh, pricked and uh, injected and everything like that. Getting that nice, crisp 5G. Mm-hmm. Yep. Straight up. Those Straight. nanobots in your bloodstream ain't going to feed themselves. Exactly. Make so. sure you get your square meals. <laughs> uh, and if you have any suggestions of movies or TV shows or books that you want us to take a look at, just let us know, um, either by sending us a message or putting a comment on one of our various pages. What are those pages again, Elizabeth? <laughs> you can find us at Marriage the Idea on Facebook, email us, marriagetheideareviews at gmail.com. And you can catch our episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. And uh, be sure to visit audible.com or audibletrial.com slash idea to get that uh, trial membership. It's only been 100 episodes, babe. You'll get it eventually. Eventually. Or, you know, never. Until next time, she's been Elizabeth. He's been Aaron. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea.